Shannon Dreher. Baseball's locked out. There's no more baseball anymore, and yet you and I are sitting here in the studio getting ready to talk some Mariners and baseball. <laughs> what, what are we doing here? Well, I think that just proves what I have just come to realize in umpteen years covering the sport. There is no such thing as no baseball, even when there's not baseball, and they're doing their darndest. I mean, baseball has pretty much been erased in the last 10 days, but there is baseball. And you know what? This is kind of an opportunity for us to take a breather, except we're not taking a breather, maybe a deep breath, catch up. I know there are a lot of things that we've kind of hit on and kind of suggested, and we can take a little bit of a deeper dive into it, see where the Mariners are right now, see what could happen afterwards. I don't think this is a case of everything is frozen, and I think it's going to be very interesting when they fire this thing up again. We'll take stock today, Howdy. I like that idea. So baseball isn't a lockdown, which means that really nothing noteworthy can happen until there's a new collective bargaining agreement. We saw a flurry of activity and tons of money spent in baseball leading up to this lockout deadline on December 1st. And by all accounts, when things come back, if they come back soon, or even if they come back late, it's going to be fast and furious again. So there's a lot to talk to uh, in terms of where baseball will go and the Mariners will go. But let's let's talk through what we're going to deal with today. We'll deal with the lockout. We have tried to avoid it as best we can because there's not a lot of fun that's in there. But this is the thing that is causing everything in baseball to stop. And until it gets figured out, we won't go anywhere. And there is no hope for the future until we figure out the lockout. So we'll start there. We'll go through and look at some of the most recent hot Mariners rumors and news that came down toward the deadline. Some interesting developments as the Mariners seemed like they were furiously trying to make something happen to put more uh, finishing touches and, and centerpiece roster moves before the lockout happened. We'll look at some interesting projections and where some Mariners are uh, looking to potentially perform in this next 2022 season. And uh, we'll deal with a little bit more controversy in baseball. Not just lockout controversy, but we'll have some baseballs controversy we'll get to as well. But Shannon, let's, let's start with the lockout. Uh, what, you, uh, what you see is going on right now and, and what you may be hearing. We're not hearing anything, and that's that's not good. I We're looking, we're over a week into this right now, and by my knowledge, I mean, they the two sides have not come back to the table yet, and that, something, <laughs> that's got to happen at some point, and there are no deadlines. So, I mean, to me, that is discouraging. The, my whole, I had, I, I've tried to get away from the Pollyanna-ish and everything is great and, and really I think, turned into a, a realist when it comes to baseball, particularly in the last 10 years. And I'm also not very much of a panic-type person, and so common sense tells me, well, i got to get this figured out. There's too much money at stake on both sides, right? Uh, that's the common sense side of me that says that this is, and it, you know, eventually it will get settled. I mean, baseball is not finished, as we said. There will always be baseball. But going back, and it's not just last year. I mean, these bad feelings have been brewing for some time. The distrust has been brewing for some time. We got a horrible picture of it during the, the lockout last year, or the lockdown, I'm sorry, last year, when everything shut down because of the pandemic, and these two sides couldn't come together on anything. Now, they did play again, but it wasn't because they had an agreement. It was because they didn't have an agreement. Uh, that obviously was a bad sign. So... My my whole kind of Pollyanna view of this was, we'll take a nice month off, we'll go to the spa, we'll let them sit down and settle this, 
it won't be played out in the media and hopefully, you know, early January, <laughs> mid-January, we fire things up and go again. You're how laughing. Can, how come you didn't tell me this? That's how you were viewing before you were entering this. That's, Shit, in. I mean, how I was, you know, and that's because of the common sense. It's like, yeah, it's they got to figure it out. And here's the timeline. But very discouraged that we haven't seen anything as of yet. And, uh, you know, they could not be more fractured. There could not be more distrust. Uh, things were worked on before, smaller things. There were conversations. They're not starting at ground zero with this. But the biggest issues, obviously, they have been addressed to the point where proposals have been handed back and forth. And, and that's it. It's like, here's my proposal. And they look at it. You can have that right back. Thank you. Which is going back to last year. I mean, there were no discussions on anything. It was yes, no, 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 no the end. And it's disheartening to see that. I want to see people sit down and work things out. I want to believe that both sides care deeply about the game and and fixing it and realize that, you know, more so than any agreement that we have had in most of our lifetimes, we've got some dramatic age difference and whatnot, but it hasn't been as kind of groundbreaking breaking or shaking as this one should be. It is time for some major changes in the structure of how ball players are paid. This one should take a lot of work and a lot of heavy lifting. And to me, it's really hard to see no give, no take, just yes, no, and out. And then, you know, of course, when this all came down, the first thing you saw was MLB.com wiping the pictures clean and all the videos gone and all the sites, all they had on their sites were their heritage players. The network, the dot-com, the teams, they are not allowed. MLB is not allowing them to talk about the players, put the players forward to do anything like that. Now, MLB said that's all it's legal. We haven't been able to get kind of into the depths of why you would have to take a picture down or anything like that. But it sure drove the point home that, this is not as simple as just sitting down and, well, I'll give you this if you give me that. This is something that's completely different No, right now. it isn't. There's Lockouts and strikes are challenging, and it's something I'm very interested in as a personal topic in sports. I am a, I'm a team-first guy as a Seattle sports fan. I grew up that way. I remain that way to this day. I root for teams, my teams, more than players. But the one time I will pound on the desk for players is during collective bargaining agreements because during that time, the Players Union and the MLB or the owners group, they set the terms of how they're going to operate moving forward. And when those terms are set, that's it until the next one comes up. Everybody plays by those rules. So when players associations want to make changes, I'm going to strongly advocate for them. They are the, the lesser powerful group just by sheer resources. So I always am going to be on the side of players during those times I don't have a lot of sympathy for players or players' unions while there's a CBA in place because you set the rules and you played by those rules. Now, baseball is a little bit different than the other sports in that baseball's player union, the MLB Players Association, is much, much stronger than the other ones. And I don't know why that is and why that remains to be this day. There's because so many Because they had players. the strike, because they really sat out, because they, you know, they did that. And no other sport has been willing to do that. And as a result, generally speaking, until the 2000s, Major League Baseball Players Association has gotten more favorable favorable deals in their collective bargaining agreements compared to every other major U.S. sport. Now, there are pluses and minuses of that, but that fact remains. 
in the 2000s when the collective bargaining agreements were signed, I think there have been two since the night, the big the big strike, those deals have not been as resounding of a win for play, the MLB Players Association as the previous ones had been. And they were actually more in line with the NFL's deals and the NBA's deals and the NHL's deals where really you saw the economic power continue to rise at really strong levels for ownership and league groups and the players group rising in a very gradual they were disparate they were rising at different levels so that's that's the fundamental element as far as i understand of where baseball is at right now now what's been different about baseball and football is that what the nfl does when they go into collective bargaining agreement you'll see the league put out all of these red herring things and the players association's arguments will be all the time spent on these red herring issues one of them being when the nfl expanded their schedule we're going to go to 18 games. We're going to 18 games. They controlled the narrative around this one small topic. And it was a very, it's it's big for all the fans. It's big for all the players. It's big for all the owners. But the real core element is the financial breakdown between the owners and the players, right? That's the real thing. That's where all the major money is at place and the financial core elements, not little things like marijuana testing or practice time or extra games played. It's the actual fundamental principles of the game. What baseball has failed to do during this time, and this is where it makes me a little bit concerned about the future, is that baseball hasn't been able to make those small issues the main topic. What, In your opinion, what would those small issues, those sort of red herring issues be in this lockout? Well, you're talking about like universal DH? It's exactly one of the I was thinking of. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's not going to get it done. I mean, you're not going to all of a sudden the players aren't going to say, okay, we will expand playoffs if we have universal DH. That kind of thing. I mean, it's 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 just it's too small, and I think we're just really to a point right now where, and I, I guess there's an ebb and a flow to everything. I mean, the Major League Baseball. I just said the MLB. I never say the MLB. It is MLBs, but the Players Association. It being so strong, it, it used to be so much more visual, and that you could see why it was so strong. It's guaranteed contracts. I usually compare to the NFL. That is huge, and that is huge in the case of the players. You know, you miss a year, you still get your how many ever million dollars. That is 100% huge. Of it. Mm-hmm. Pension plan is fantastic when they get vested. Health care, huge, huge. And this is one of the things that when I used to cover, I covered the Seahawks a long, long time ago, it just really struck me, and you'd hear about injuries or you'd hear about guys who would retire before they were 30 and just basically be crippled, you know, at about the age of 40 because of what the game did to them. And they've been cast out. They don't really get anything from the NFL at that point. I I think it's a little better right now than it was when I was viewing this, but that doesn't happen in baseball. That's not because the league is so generous that that's the way the rules are in baseball. It's because Major League Baseball. was negotiated. They negotiated that deal. The players pushed for the deal. And these are big, big issues. So I, I think that there has been this big, huge uh, vision that the players are stro- so strong because they got these things that the other leagues didn't have, didn't immediately have, didn't have at the time. But now times have really changed. And so if you look at the other leagues and the other sports, one of the things that baseball is is missing that I think that they can look up to and say, oh, we want that, but they have reasons for not wanting it, is you take a look at revenue sharing. Mm. 
You take a look at the true partnerships. Now there's far too much distrust. You know, saying, yeah, Major League Baseball would hide this or that. We don't want to go there, and we certainly don't want to cap, and everything goes back to the salary cap. But I think you do see true and not in the Pollyanna type kind of way that I want to see things, but more in a functional way. You see true partnerships in other leagues. Mm-hmm. You, have, you do not have that. And all in the meanwhile, it's the revenues have been going up, 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 up for Major League Baseball. And on the other side, well, you've still got your pension. You've still got uh, your guaranteed salaries. You've got your health care and all these important things. But all of a sudden, the landscape is a lot different. And you're looking over the line, and you're saying they've got a lot more. There's another major aspect that the players are fighting through. I think we should do two things. One, we should figure out what do the players really want out of this, and what do the owners really want. And then the next thing we should probably do is, where do you see this ending up? What do you think is the most likely scenario of how this ends? One of the other major things that baseball has in, in core fundamental differences between football, baseball, basketball, the highest played, paid players in football and in basketball are paid in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And in baseball, the highest paid players in baseball are paid in their 30s, and it's only a handful of guys too. So that is a fundamental difference. When you're looking around as a core, as a high-level athlete and you're looking at your careers getting shorter and shorter, generally speaking, as time goes on, and you're looking at these other leagues and everybody's getting paid their big contracts while they're playing great, and in baseball you get most of your great contracts at the end after you've already played great and not made the money for it, there's a fundamental element there that baseball's got an issue with. Well, there's been a change in that too because it used to be very easy that you would give, and I'm even going back 10 years on this, 15 years, maybe 20, where you're 32 to 34, 5, 6, 7, 8 those players would get huge contracts. They're like, why are you giving them so much? Well, it's partly for what they did, not so much what they're going to do. And that was almost a given. And they did that as not getting paid. Not that you're kind of making up for it or the other team is making up for it at that point, but that's how it was done. Well, now with the analytics, with the ability to break everything down to the nth degree, to be able to predict what players are going to do, to be able to break down exactly what that player is worth monetarily, that has stopped. Your superstars are still getting it, but not to the extent that you saw it before. Your middle is certainly not getting it. That is a major change. Obviously, the biggest issue, I I think, on this is club control. Guys want to get to free agency sooner, and... You look at what the things have been thrown out there. Oh, we'll do it at 29 and a half. We'll do it at 30. And, and that makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, you know, great for the Mariners. If you've got Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez under club control for eight years, no. You know, to me, I just want the thing to be fair. I totally agree. I Fairness want the players be to be great. paid what they should be paid. And it's hard for me to look and see a $40 million a year deal thrown at Max Scherzer and then see the bottom. And then ever since they instituted the qualifying offer, see the middle just get blown away. I want all of the players to get paid what they're worth. And it's been a rough go for a lot of the middle and a lot of the lower-tier players. And and people will say, oh, you know, the millionaires and billionaires. Just bear in mind that even if you are making the minimum, which was, what, 570000 this year, after taxes, and we're just talking federal taxes, you're talking about 350 around there. If there's state, it's going to be less. You've got dues, both clubhouse, union dues, pension, money that you have to put away, whatnot. 
you also, if you're a Major League Baseball player, likely have to have two homes or at least the ability to move your family to uh, sometimes three, spring training, where you want to live and where you work. You are spending a lot just for that. And then go ahead and take a look at your average player. Might not even, is not going to get far into free agency, if at all. It's And that's it. That's their career. So and it, that it's, doesn't even take into account the one to four years of minor league oh time gosh. that they have to spend. Well, yes. They don't yes. make a full I wish they, they would an, take an them under their, under their wing as well. You want to talk about equability. $16,000. They, do, they only get podcast. paid in the months that they play. They yeah. do not get off season. They do not get spring training. And you were talking about a lot of guys who are making under $20,000 for a long time. $20,000 a year. When I look at the athlete and everything that they surrender to get to where they are, for them to come out of it, and if you're you're looking at, you know, now if you take a look at what rosters are and the percentage that are club controllable players or that are one through three minimum players that are on rosters right now, it's a huge percentage. And so many of those players won't get past arbitration and they have the rest of their lives that they need to be taken care of. Yeah, go out, get a job, figure things out, but... For everything that they have done to get to that point, they deserve to have, I think, a little bit more security than what a lot of them have right now. This is one of the places where NFL and MLB, they have the same kind of problem. In the most recent collective bargaining agreements they've had, what has happened is they have raised the floor for the lowest earners very slowly and gradually, raised the floor for the highest earners in dramatic fashion, not by rule, but by consequence. The rules have have impacted the ability for people to make a lot of money because teams want to spend most of their money on the best players. So the best players get lots of money. And there is a middle class in both of those sports that really suffers. Now, the NBA is a little different. Their floor has risen significantly, and their middle class is more is compensated more adequately and fairly than any of the other sports. Far fewer players. It's there a lot easier to do. There are far fewer players, but that level of right, the level of raise that they've had at all three tiers of player earning has been dramatically more scaled. Now, there, that comes at an extreme cost to the fans, in my opinion. Hmm. And that is that the M, that NBA has very restrictive rules on how teams can spend, what types of players you can even spend on. You're not allowed to put all of your money into three players you have to have certain exemptions that i'm going to have this is my max player exemption this is my so you've got this really slotted bracketed system that doesn't really have a free market element to it and the consequence is that the players really run the show the players can choose wherever they want to go and there isn't really that ability to build something from scratch because if three players decide they want to go somewhere they go somewhere and turn it all around nfl and and mlb they don't have that problem Teams can say, this is our philosophy, this is the way we're going to do it differently, and they can build towards that goal. And they have the ability, because of their financial structure, to accomplish those things. If you get to a system that is more like the NBA, the fans will see that there will be more, probably, dynasties. There will be more players choosing things over teams choosing things. And, you know, it's... It'll be it'll be harder from a competitive balance perspective. So that's the one place I will say I love baseball's current structure for the freedom that it presents for everyone. Mm. And I fear that that will go away with dramatic changes to the financial structure. 
And I'm just questioning how dramatic. I mean, is this something, I don't think this is something you fix in one CBA. And I, I hope to God that's what the eventual realization is of, of everyone. And what I have seen with the Players Union is just they're unyielding on everything. So my question now is, are you willing to sit out? I mean, how 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 far are you going to take this? And in any other year, any other labor situation that I have watched, I, I wouldn't think that that was a possibility. You think that you're going to get up to the deadline. The deadline is going to force a deal. Something's going to happen. And I think it's just the smallest chance. I do think that, you know, we could be a little bit late into spring training. I don't think games are going to be missed. But I'm allowing for the possibility that perhaps they are mm. because – of the tenor and the tone, and this goes back a year, this is nothing new. This is kind of what the Players Union has been ramping up towards by all appearances to me, and that they gave nothing last year. Let me give you three deadlines here. What is your percent chance that you think that games, regular season games will be missed in 2022? No, I hate this kind of prediction. I'm, I'm, as I said. You're not a predictions person. No, I'm not giving a percent. I'm saying I think it's a possibility. I'm not saying it's an over. I, I'm thinking it's going to happen. I'm thinking it's a possibility, perhaps more so than we want to think about. I would give it probably a ninety percent chance that games that no games are missed next season. I think it's that certain that this thing is. Now both it's sides not get are coming to that off spot. a year where they've lost money. Everyone has a lot to lose coming off of that. Absolutely, spring training games. How likely do we think it would be that spring training games would be missed? Considerably higher. Two weeks ago, I would have said that I was 90% sure spring training games wouldn't have missed. Really? I was I'm very, very certain of that. None of the talk right now really concerns me because there is no reason for anyone to come to the table. There's none. This thing is going to come together in the course of three weeks, whenever they start. So the time you start hearing people meeting and having conversations, peg three weeks from that because that's about the time it would take to get it done once they start topic, talking. Right. So to me... Until we get to the middle of January and people aren't talking, I'm not going to have all that many concerns because this is what CBAs are. When you're in a CBA negotiation, we went through the NFL lockout in 2011 that I thought was going to be a huge deal and ended up getting resolved in a really benign fashion. Like It was just nothing. I mean, everything was big. Every topic was huge. Every animosity was insurmountable. That's just the way things go, in my opinion. So I, I don't have any concern about how the, the language has been gone now. But if you come to me in the middle of January and say that no no talks have happened, no proposals have been sent back and forth, then I'll have some concerns. Where are you at? You think it's more it's more likely that we'll miss some spring training games now than maybe you thought a month ago? No, I think it's the same. I've thought that all along. The only thing that changed was I think there's a possibility that we see games. Mm. That's that's moving in the wrong direction. From where you used to yes. feel. Yeah, yeah, no, I told you. I was full yeah. on Pollyanna. Well, I'll sit down, figure it out, fix the game, move on. And when I sit down and take a closer look at where the players have been and their resolve, then I wonder a little bit more. But, no, I, I don't know that it, it's it's moving backwards. It's just, to me, I think, in a lot of what you were just saying with deadlines, I think that we have learned that you don't need six weeks to get a baseball team ready for a season. So I think that that makes spring training games expendable in the sense that we're going to hold out as long as we can. We're going to push this as far as we can. And so I think that the deadline could be over that line. That's a great point. I totally agree with you. Let's wrap up some of our lockout conversation. We'll move on 
uh, to the roster stuff, but can you give me a good synopsis? There's a lot of people who probably haven't spent any time figuring out what this actual lockout is, why it's happening. Can you give me a thumbnail synopsis of what the players want, what the owners want, uh, so we can see what the difference is? Well, no. We've, we've, <laughs> talked, we've talked enough about this. I am not a labor expert, okay? And, and this job is so funny because you get into it and you think you're just going to, I'm going to go watch some baseball games. I'm going to interview some ball players. I thank God that I was one of those lost students in college and took a little bit of everything because in the last 20 years I've had to you know learn about the analytics. Well, thank God I took probability and statistics. Otherwise, I would have been in real trouble. I have had to learn about flexor bundles. <laughs> thank God I took upper-level physiology classes. <laughs> I kind of get that. Now you have the mental side of the game. Well, yeah, we got the psych degree, got the BS, so I've got that all works uh, in, in my favor. I am not well-versed in labor law. Which apparently I you know, I, I am it's a shortcoming trying to, to catch Shannon. up on it. It's as long I've been saying I it's am, been a shortcoming. So I don't want to be speaking for <laughs> what this is. And again, it, it's about inequality. One side is not getting a big enough piece of the pie. That pie has exploded. It was a Costco sized pie to start with and now it is you know, Costco pie and steroids and we probably shouldn't be talking about those. Um <laughs> Pumpkin. <laughs> Just casually throw pumpkin. steroids into a baseball it's a conversation. Steroid pumpkin pie, <laughs> and that's that's what it comes down to. But you know, the thing that's missed is that, or that shouldn't be missed is I think that what we're looking at this year are major changes. They're not the smaller things that you were talking about uh, before. It's not just universal DH. It's a change to the structure of who gets paid. Let's move forward into uh, the past and look at the deadline that was the lockout. Uh, there was a lot of conversation over the last 72 hours, I would say, with the Mariners from the time that the Robbie Ray deal was um, announced by sources to the time the lockout actually occurred. Can you walk me through what that was like and where the Mariners were at during that process? We talked quite a bit about that in the last podcast, and, and I kind of gave some thoughts. And when I give thoughts, that's not just what's in my head. It's from conversations that I've put together, some very specific, some not. And, you know, it was clear that the Mariners were pressing for something and perhaps multiple somethings at the deadline. There was a possibility that something on the free agent front could get done. And there was a lot of thought that at the deadline, if you hadn't done it 24 hours before, it wasn't going to happen because of the physicals that had to be taken that was not an obstacle if one of these deals was going to get done. And I think what we saw in baseball in general, because we were all expecting a lot of deals perhaps in those last 24 hours, and we didn't see anything. Pretty much it came to a grinding halt at that point. And I just kind of go to the human nature side of things. You come to a point where you're got to do it now, got to do it now, got to do it now, and the closer you get to that deadline is maybe something that's better on the other side. Why not wait at this point? Maybe we just stop and think about it a little bit. And I think that's what in large part happened. I, I think that the, the got to do it now was the week before, and the closer you got to that deadline it was – we can afford to wait. Do you think that was more on behalf of the teams, the teams saying we should wait? No, I think it was the players at that point. I totally agree with you. That's what I saw. What I saw with the flurry of activity and rumors surrounding 
specifically Trevor Story and Chris Bryant, was two guys that were planning on signing deals on the other side, but they were going to leave the door open in case somebody wanted to be dumb in the last 24 hours. And they were waiting to see if somebody was going to do a Mets-Scherzer deal. And they were going to see, you know, if you want to come in and offer me something that was not even on the table a week ago from anywhere, you know, I consider that. But otherwise, you know, let's talk more seriously when we know the rules of the future. I think it was to teams' benefits to get these deals done, not just because it's off the table, you, you, you know, you can move on to what you have to do next and you're not a big part of the flurry afterwards. It it was because there were also teams that I think were sitting out and saying, let's just let the insanity happen right now, then we're going to get back into it. And this, I think, plays into some Mariner targets, and Chris Bryant has a very robust market. Trevor Story's market, not as many teams. That could change coming out of the lockout. You know, we are going to see New York get involved. We've started to see the Red Sox mentioned a little bit more. Houston has got to have a short stop. We didn't really hear much about them. You're going to hear about them after things open up again. I don't think in any way, shape, or form the Mariners, you know, they were down the road with this player or that player. It doesn't just freeze. When you come out of this, it's going to be a different landscape. There's going to be different rules. I don't know if luxury tax is going to really affect anybody at this point, but uh, you're going to have, uh, teams, you're going to have the deadline. <laughs> you now have to get teams, get players signed. And again, you are past that frenzy that we saw before that I think had some other clubs just sitting back and you you do you. <laughs> you go play. You, you have fun. Have your sprint spending spree. It was such a kind of rich free agent market that I think that some teams could afford to do that. And now I think when you come out, I think you're actually going to have a little bit more competition for these names that we've been talking about. Where the Mariners sit coming out of this, having signed Robbie Ray as their one major act change, um, and also getting Adam, Adam Frazier at second base, how do you think they sit in the competitive landscape for free agency and trades coming out compared to maybe how they entered the offseason? Well, trade isn't going to change. Is it not? So I'm curious about that. Tell me more. They're going to have the same trade pieces, the same trade capital that they came into this. Mariners can pretty much do whatever they want in trade. It's up to them and how much they're willing to give up. I totally agree with you. I, yes, my my interest and concern is when the, if any of the four, core financials of baseball change and how player control works and everything, does the value of prospects change and what you can get back or what you have to give up change in the trade market with the new rules in baseball. That's the only thing that I'm 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 wondering how the Mariners fit into that landscape if the rules do change some. I don't think it's going to change very much. I, I think that uh, if you've got a player that you really want to move, if you've got an organization that you really need to rebuild, I don't think one, and I don't know that we're going to see one year, I don't know that that's going to make the difference. I hope so. I hope that the, I mean, they're not going to have less players coming out, like you said. It's a great point. They're not going to have less players to deal just because they did the Adam Frazier deal. That's that's not that's not where they're at. I just I my fear is that the value of prospects may go down, so it may take a little bit more in a prospect trade to get players than we initially. And if thought. it does, they can still do that. They can still do it. They're still positioned that way, but it, it'll be it'll be harder to swallow for sure. Which sort of brings us into what we think the Mariners could be doing coming out on the backside. 
there was a lot of conversation about three names, specifically, though, about Trevor Story and the hot trade rumor that came up that the Mariners are very interested in Matt Chapman, something you brought up a long time ago, several weeks ago on our podcast, that that could be an option for them. The whole world has known that the A's are going to sell and they're going to trade away some major players. So that's not a surprise either, but where do you think the Mariners sit with the idea of adding Chapman as one of their core pieces uh, to really finish off this this roster? He He's an option. He is an option that they like, that they have been interested in for a while. They've known for a while that Oakland was going to do this. This is not a surprise. And I think something that also has been attractive in this is this is something, and, and Oakland's helping out in this, is Oakland is sitting back to wait and see what happens with the shortstop middle infield market. So it's not something that you had to do right away. Uh, the infield defense, you're not, you've got a platinum glover. The offense, and people don't want to hear this, but even in a down year, was darn close to what Kyle Seeger was, I think actually by a point or two better in WRC+, and it was a down year. The surgery he had and was coming off of shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that he struggled this year. And, and so you know, I think they're putting a good amount of faith in that he's Matt Chapman coming off of injury, and Matt Chapman is still in there. It would just be two years. You've got Noel V. Marte coming. It seems to be a good fit. And the interesting thing here, and I know that your big concern is, well, that's not the big offensive piece. That's not the intention. There are going to be more players added. It wouldn't just be it's Matt Chapman or Bust. I'm not convinced it's Matt Chapman or one of the other big names. It could be and. I don't know that for certain, but I, I'm not convinced that it's an either or, that ideally if they could get both, which is something they could do both with budget and with the trade prospects they have, uh, that is something that they would be prepared for. And the more that I look at when they got Frazier and some things that I've heard since, I think they had a good idea they weren't getting Simeon when they got Frazier. And when they got Frazier, they weren't fully committed to putting him full-time at second base. And they had said as much when they acquired him. They loved his versatility and his ability to play around the field as well, on top of being a gold glove second baseman. So, yeah, they, they were up front. And you, you've mentioned him multiple times in this podcast. Jerry DePoto is very upfront with what he thinks and feels about his acquisitions and his players and what he intends to do and what he's going to do. So, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. They, they were very happy to have him at second base, but they're, they believe that he is an asset to them, even if he's not playing second base. And to me, I, I believe that when they acquired him, there was thought that they could still get two infielders. Wow. So that would be interesting. Still getting two infielders and adding adding Frazier. So you've got essentially openings at second base and third base. You've got shortstop locked down by J.P. Crawford. And in most every scenario you can imagine, Ty Francis locked down first base. So adding two players to the infield plus Adam Frazier is an interesting prospect. I don't think they were just thinking they're going to add one more player. So if it's not that, then it's in the outfield. It's your Suzuki, your dream of Conforto. We shall see. And the other thing to keep in mind, because just trying to figure out how everything plays out and where do you play everybody and what do lineups look like and 
Ryan Divish had a really great point, and, and I agree with him, and it would be kind of a DePoto thing to do. Divish isn't convinced that Frazier starts the season with the Mariners, that it is a possibility that he could be traded at any time. So, you know, maybe that was a cover in case you don't get anything else. Maybe it was a, wow, we love this versatility and we can make this move now. And it, and he did say, it, DePoto did say at the time, this does not stop us from anything else. I believe him 100% on that too. There's nothing that doubts that. So me. they've got maximum flexibility with Frazier. It's just a one-year player. Of course you could move him. I don't know that there's a ton of need for second base. Especially without any power in the middle infield from him. As far as his value out there, too. You know, I don't think he's a coveted piece that everyone's well, going to say, oof, the White, find Sox, a way to get the White Sox need a second baseman. They've got plenty of offense. And, you know, there are, not everybody is building. You know, second base, by the way, typically has not been your big offensive pos- position. It's true. That's true. So, uh, I, I, I think that you know, multiple options are out there. Nothing would surprise me in terms of what they get if it is, in an over situation, in an under situation, uh, I that would be a little bit surprising. Walk me down the path where the Mariners get Matt Chapman for third base, got Adam Frazier at second base, and they're still going to add another bat. Does it seem to you more likely that they'd add that bat with one of the remaining big bats on the open free agent well, market? Trevor Story would fit at second base. And if now, that the one that I can't really figure out would be a Matt Chapman or Chris Bryant. I don't think that works out. You know, I I can see I could see that as well. Because Matt Matt Chapman is never going to move off of third base. You wouldn't want him to. And Chris Bryant's primary position is probably left field at this point. But he plays you third base. If he needed to play 100 games at third base, you'd be fine. Um, so is he a natural fit at that point with Matt Chapman in the fold? Not as much. Not as much. He's not going to be a second baseman. Not at his size. He's never played there before. You don't really need him at first base, which is another position that he can play. He can man center field, but you don't want him playing more than 30 or 40 games out there in center field, even though it's his favorite position to play. So, yeah, he's not as much of a fit if Matt Chapman's in the fold. So it's it, it, it's a tough situation, though, at that point, because to me you get to Trevor Story or bust almost if you add Matt Chapman in terms of making an impact at addition to the lineup if Matt Chapman ends up being your third baseman. Where... Do you see any other possibilities for the Mariners in the outfield? Well, yeah, I know the names that you want me to say. You know, I love Seiya Suzuki. I would love to see that. Michael Conforto, sure. I have seen and heard just kind of various, the range on what he could go for is very uncertain right now. And I don't think that you want to see that long-term and long-term dollars. So that one is a little bit tougher for me. This whole thing would be so much easier to figure out. And I'm sure they're thinking the same thing, but you have got to know if Mitch Hanniger and J.P. Crawford are in this for the long haul. Mm. Mm. Now you're talking truth. Now you're getting to the core of it. If you know that Mitch Hanniger is on your team for the next six years, your interest in corner outfield bats goes through the floor, in my opinion. What? Why the floor? Doesn't it go through the roof? Because he's going to play some of the... You're not going to sign him to a $20-plus million a year contract just to play DH for the rest of his career. He's going to play the majority of his time in the outfield until his legs don't work anymore. So if you know he's going to be gone after this season, your interest in a corner outfielder that's young that will play there for the next six years 
a Kyle Schwarber type. No. I know he's not ideal. He's not a good defender at all, but a great (laughs) bat, and you would stick him in the corner and you play him DH a bunch. A Michael Conforto type, a Nick Castellano type. You're interested in those guys because you know you have a corner outfield spot. You can have that guy play primarily out I don't think you can make those moves without knowing that. So this is the catch-22 the Mariners find themselves in because here's my read on this. And you can tell me I'm crazy. It wouldn't be the first time in this podcast, let alone the times we talk together. I believe that Mitch Haniger is waiting for the Mariners to show him that they are very serious about contending before approaching the idea of extending long-term because he doesn't want to turn into the next Kyle Seeger in his mind. The guy who signs a deal, who feels undervalued and is stuck with a losing team, and he's the only veteran that's on the losing team. He doesn't want to get in that scenario. So he wants the Mariners to prove to him, you're going to add players and you're not going to stop. This will be the first year and it'll keep going throughout my career. You're going to keep adding marquee players. You're going to keep spending on this team. And so far, you made one step forward in that direction in Robbie Ray. But I'm going to need to see more before I come to the table and sign my name on this thing for the next five to six years. So if that's... Do you think I'm completely off base there? No, I, I think that is very Mitch. I, I think um, Mitch is somebody that is so studied in everything that he does. He's going to want to have the most information, and he's going to be looking ahead, and what is this going to look like for me? And I, I think that he is in a place to do that. First, I my, my initial, and I, I said this on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, it's in his final year. He, free agency is within sight. You know, it's that one is the barn door is open. That's not happening. But what I love about Mitch Haniger in the situation that you're talking about right now is that he's not just sitting back saying, show me, with his arms crossed over his chest, scrolling the Twitter, watching what's happening in Seattle while he's going about his absolute insane massive workouts, wrestling 300-pound Osu balls and, and climbing rocks um, and hanging from his fingertips. Have you seen the videos? No, Great. I haven't. Okay. He's, he's taken an active role in this from his letter to, you know, conversations that he has had within the organization to his recruiting of other players. He is taking an active interest in this. And because he is taking such an active interest in it and because of that letter and because of, and it it doesn't mean anything, but there was an interview that he did about a month ago and he was talking about, you know, in a few years, Mariners, and he was doing it in terms of we. We're really going to be something for years to come. Well, as of right now, it's an I this year, one year, if you want it to be your scum, something has to be signed. Uh, that wasn't a slip of any means, but to me, it's available. It's in his head. It's it's a possibility, and the fact that he has been an active participant in trying to move this forward, uh, that speaks volumes to me. But I think he has to see the results. For the Mariners, then, that puts you in a position where if, if you add Matt Chapman... In and this there's world, no guarantee at that point even that it gets done. Sure. That, that, that's just a starting point. Right. You still have to come to an agreement on what the terms are going to be. Uh, great point. But I don't think that door is closed. And I know that there are a lot of folks that, oh, it's so dysfunctional over there. And, and 
we're seeing something very different. We're hearing things that are very different. And yes, there are warts. And yes, there are very bad things that happened. But it appears that when you get into that clubhouse and when you get onto that field in the direction that things are going in, it's very different. There will be an interesting thing to watch coming out of this lockout in that there have been no major players discussed on the trade market. And to me, that's interesting. Normally, when we come into December, we've got a good idea of here are four or five stars that could be on the move. I am not hearing and I have not heard the rumors of, is this team going to trade that guy before December 1st? That wasn't a conversation I was hearing as the lockout was approaching. Now, when new finances come out and everything gets changed and business is back open, I think that there will be a, a, a bunch of names that get out on the, on the rumor market that we haven't even gotten close to discussing. How interested do you think the Mariners will be in looking at the trade market for a marquee bat? It, they want to add. But, again, their first priority, I, I, their priority is going to be to spend on that bat and not give up the prospects. If they can get a deal done without giving up, a certain number of prospects. And I'm getting more comfortable with the fact that if you have that marquee bat and if you have the place for it, the comfort, and it's the fit, and when you're talking trade, you got to be looking at years as well. I'm of the opinion, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and when I said it, I'm like, hey, that sounded good. And I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so it's now my thing. <laughs> if you have so many players you do not want to part with, you should part with one. You can afford to part with, you know, not just to make a trade, but if that player is out there, I think you are in a position where you can make that painful move. If you're talking one, two, maybe even three, no. But you look at the list of names that you would rather not move from this roster. You can do it particularly on the pitching side. Yes. I'm right there with you on the pitching side. I'm right there with you. It makes me nervous to move on from your top-tier hitting prospects or young hitters that are on your team because you don't have the depth of upside talent there. Not the way you do with pitching. You've got a lot of it. And now that you got Robbie Ray in the fold and you've seen Logan Gilbert start to put it together at the major league level, it makes it so much easier. If Jared Kelnick came up last year and hit 280 with 30 homers, I feel a little bit differently, <laughs> but he didn't. If 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 by some miracle, Julio Rodriguez had come up to the team at the end of last season and was playing at a high level at the end of the season, I wouldn't be so concerned about that. If Cal Raleigh came up and hit respectably at all, I wouldn't be all that concerned about it. But you haven't had your young position players break out in a way that makes you feel comfortable that you aren't going to need to eventually find or soon find a replacement for that. I can't say for certain. I can't say for certain. Oh, that's crazy talk. Come on. I can't say for certain that Cal Raleigh's the catcher of the future. I can't say that. Because of how many games you saw him in? A full season, essentially. You did not see him in a full season. Two-thirds of the season. What are you talking about? We watched Cal Raleigh. What are you talking about? I did not see enough out of Cal Raleigh last year, the similar way that I didn't see enough out of Evan White when he was here. To say for sure, yeah, that's the catcher of the future. That's the first baseman of the future. You saw 139 at-bats from Cal Raleigh. Come on. All right. I didn't see enough from Cal Raleigh to say that he's the future at catcher. 
But that's who you're committed to, and that's who they're committed to. So you don't give up because you saw 139 of his first big league experience, and it didn't go the way that you wanted it to. And they pulled him pretty quickly because they were in contention. A great move. I mean, ideally, he's not up last year. Absolutely. So, I mean, that was was not a normal come up and we're going to groom you to be our catcher. That was come up, oh, we're in this, sit down. And not play very often. You know, if he was going to come up and light the world on fire, he would have been able to been allowed to stay. But most won't, don't do that. Uh, I can tell you that there is still a lot of confidence in what he can do. I I hope to be proven wrong on that. And I expect he But I don't think it's be fair better. to take a look at 139. All the same. I don't Pats. have the same. To- and the other thing, I mean, you know, what we saw, Jared Kelnick, and this is one of the reasons why I hate projections is because with a young player and with a young team, it doesn't matter what they do at the beginning. And Jared Kelnick was your primary offensive piece in the month of September this year. He was a different player in the month of September. And a lot of that was a result of what he went through last year. Would have been great if he came up and was Jared Kelnick right off the bat, but if he didn't, and they, yeah, they... Should not have been leading off, should not have been up as long as he was to start his first time up. But outside of that, sticking with him, committing with him, putting him down in the lineup, playing him every day, that perhaps was paying off in what you saw in September, which hopefully starts him at a different place in April. There's there's plenty to be proven with these young players, and I think you're probably right that there's not reason to panic about you know, the early season returns on first-year guys with the team. It will be interesting to watch how they approach the trade market coming up in this offseason and whether they are willing to move on from some of those uh, those young pieces. I think I think that there is a, there's plenty of opportunity to improve this team at the top end of the roster by trading from some of your, uh, your, your depth, and I'll be curious to watch that as well. Uh, another thing we want to get into and, and, and discuss as we wrap up here a little bit is uh, some of the controversies that have come outside of labor in baseball. Can you imagine baseball with another controversy? Uh, Shannon, take us into some of the baseball's controversy from last season. Well, if you've been following along, apparently two different baseballs were in use last year. And that, to me, is not a shock. And I think I knew that anyway. But how they were used, I think, is what is being questioned right now and it's just another part of the mess of baseball that they have to get figured out we should not be talking about baseball construction year in and year out and last year it was funny because at the beginning of the year we had on the pregame show on the roundtables quite a few how do you fix baseball and at the beginning of the year it was oh they're hitting far too many home runs and then it was oh they're striking out far too much got to move the pitching mound back got to fix the ball Got to have the pitchers pitch with one arm tied behind their back. I mean, you know, everything. And it's funny because it's just like, again, we've got to get baseball to a spot where we're not fixing everything. But as far as the baseballs go, and we saw, you know, all of a sudden no sticky stuff and the strikeouts come down. Nice. Okay. That's that's important. But then the flight of the ball and baseball's leaving ballparks at an astronomical rate during the season at some points and not at other points. I had heard something in spring training that there had been a change in the baseball. Yet when I talked to people about it, they said there wasn't a change in the baseball. And I don't know if I believed that at the time. And you start diving into it a little bit more. 
And there were different balls in play. Rawlings Company was bought by Major League Baseball to produce the baseballs during the pandemic. I guess they're made in Guatemala. They couldn't make as many balls. So they were coming up with a shortage this year. Well, they have all sorts of baseballs left over from 2020. And so they got thrown into the population, too, it appears. Uh, There was a suggestion in an article uh, that perhaps the hot baseballs, the ones that would really fly, were saved for the marquee matchups, were saved for the big stage. And I think they specifically said nobody wants to see the home runs in a, you know, a game between the Rangers and the Mariners. Now, if this is true, that's a horrible scandal because it's just like the steroids. If there is an unfair advantage somewhere, that plays out in numbers, which plays out in dollars, which you've got a problem. But we don't know that that actually happened. That was a suggestion that that was said. So, uh, you know, the baseball gate goes on. You've got physicists looking at baseballs independently. In fact, uh, the woman who did the study, and I've been following her on Twitter for two years now, she's an astrophysicist, I believe, actually put out a call to people, if you have any game-used baseballs from this year or this year, send them to me. I mean, that's how my understanding is these were sourced for some of these studies. Baseball has done their own studies on it, but this was an independent study by a physicist. And uh, just I, I think the bottom line is, is it's as murky as ever. It's something that needs to get fixed because you don't want to be talking about it. And it's going to be pretty darn interesting to hear see what happens on the side of uh, the pitching. And if they come up with the tackier baseball that you can get a better grip of, does Yusei Kikuchi all of a sudden become Yusei Kikuchi again? He's got three-year deals out there, they're saying. But you know, just an il- illustration of how one thing you take for granted, the baseball. The baseball plays a huge part in everything that happens out there. It really does. It, you know, baseball, I'd, I'd been seeing some of the stuff about people studying the baseballs when you were talking about the strikeouts and the home runs were going nuts. I think 538 did a uh, mm-hmm. breakdown, too. They did uh, x-ray imaging on balls to see if the cores had changed, and they determined it had, but they couldn't determine exactly what the impact on the game was. You know, this is a big and complicated thing. I don't know that we're going to get any good resolution out of all of it. My hope would be that the league is just embarrassed enough by somebody scratching on this scab that they don't screw around with it moving forward and they're above board with baseballs in the future. Well, they have been working with the baseball for a while and the drag, and, you know, you don't want too many home runs, you don't want enough, but what you really don't want is there was also an accusation that they put the live balls or the dead balls into play in years where... um, you had a healthy free agent market for hitters. Yes, and that came up this year at the uh, the home run derby, right? Pete Alonso was the guy who came that's out right, with that. That's right. That's right. I, you know, I'm not one for conspiracy theories. I'm way into conspiracies. I, you know no, that. That's why this is we work so well together. <laughs> but you know, you have to look into it. I'm not not into it enough to say that you just ignore that and brush that off. But uh, yeah, baseballs have become a topic when there is no baseball. Well, there may not be any more baseball, but I imagine there's going to be even more to talk about. And while there's nothing going on, idle minds like mine will continue to spin out of control and come up with crazy ideas and thoughts of what could happen in the future. So I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about as the offseason Hopefully it's about player movement, but I think it's just going to be you and me for a while. (laughs) Your dream come true. 